With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Kind of like choosing Derek Jeter as the pinch hitter for your baseball team. Jeter, you're in. We need a home run. I'll give it a try. I've swung a bat once or twice. That's out of here. Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. And then, of course, you can be married off. Nasserian grew up in Narok, west of Nairobi, just a few kilometers away from the Masai Mara National Park. She used to herd livestock and often encountered wildlife. That's where her passion began. I saw that guiding field was a male-dominated field. And as per what I went through, actually, I really wanted to to show my strength. And all that I thought was for going for something extraordinary that really... It's a bit of a challenge for, not really a challenge, but a lot of people really still have that perspective that it's just for males. Women leading the charge in the tourism industry is not a common sight in Kenya. Overcoming challenges and prejudice, these women at Embo River are trailblazers, and they're turning heads in the heart of the Masai Mara. Over 50% of their employees are female. Together they're working to change the narrative about the role of women in the Ma community. Anasaria is such a hard worker. She's actually currently the head of department and she has a team of male and she's able to manage their plans and she's able to lead them uh, in a way that they respect them, uh, considering that most of her team members are from the Maasai community, which at some time they did not regard the women empowerment and uh, women in leadership positions, but she's able to turn this around and be able to be a voice for women in Maasai Mara. But Nasserian's courage to break cultural norms has also come with its fair share of challenges. Her life choices were not well received by her family, at least at first. But she has gradually shifted the perception of her community. Um, My dad really now is a happy dad, and he is now supporting fully what I do. And he's even encouraging more ladies actually out to do whatever I'm doing. And for now, actually, my younger sisters don't really have that um, hard time of going to school. In fact, now he's forcing them. If you don't really want to go to school, you will have to go because now he's really seeing that value in a woman. So it has really changed his perspective completely. Nasserian continues to grow in her journey as a guide. She plans to keep pushing boundaries and changing norms by inspiring the next generation of women. Now, your gender may not be the only thing people may use to judge you and your capabilities. Age can also be a factor. But Graham Shema from Uganda is proof that we should never underestimate or exclude people from certain professions just because we think they are too young. Graham is just 10 years old and already a pilot. His story is unbelievable, and we had the chance to be exclusively on board for his first flight as captain. Hello, my name is Graham Shaba. I'm 10 years old. I'm the youngest pilot in the world and the founder of Aviation Aspiration Magazine for Kids. I like being in the air. It's, it just feels like I'm on my team. It's something that I'm 
I just went to YouTube and searched um, how airplanes work. Everything was in one video. Then I searched them separately. And yeah, uh, the hardest I would say is the cockpit. You know, the cockpit is one place. So it was very hard to la learn because I'd say, you, you need to know this and this, that, how it lands, how it takes off, all of that. The easy parts were the outside of the plane, the rats, APU, the wings, the rudders, the elevators. The first time, it was quite scary because that time I was still six. I, they couldn't let me touch the controls because they know I would be, I was a little, not a little playful, but a little playful. So now I'm serious. Flown with many uh, kids, you know, who uh, are excited about flying, but uh, none who is as intentional as he has been or he is, you know. He he wants it. He knows what he's into. He knows what he's coming for. Uh, the rest are coming for a joyride, you know. And he knows what he's doing. He knows the controls. He knows the flying. He knows the areas. He knows when he's making a turn, you know. I would say, dream big and, and you can make it. So, don't turn yourself down. If you turn yourself down, it's actually, it's actually affecting you. Not anyone else, but you. Dear parents, believe in your children. Never put them down. Never say you can't do this. Never say that you're a girl, that you can't do this. You can't make it. You can't be a pilot. But you need to support your children not put them down. I would like to be the first Ugandan to go in space and touch the moon. <laughs> wow, to me this is the best story of the week. And if Graham should ever fly long distance, I can recommend a beautiful city in Nigeria as his destination, Ile Ife. It's located in the southwestern part of the country, and we're lucky to have traditional music artist Queen Sheba to show us her favorite spots in the city rich in culture and history. Hello, my name is Queen Sheba, coming to you all the way from southwest Nigeria. You are watching DW77%, and I'm here to take you on a tour of my city, Ileife, Ekabo City Ileife. Today is a special day. It is Nkrumah Memorial Day, or what some of us would recognize in the past as Founders Day with an apostrophe S. And some of us are unrepentant uh, in sticking to that. We're here 
in North Jowulu commemorating this special day by having the 2023 Ba Redu Memorial Lecture. For all of you watching us live on Joy News Television, we're grateful. We're also going to be live on Joy 99.7 FM. Just to give a bit of a premise before we start, we kickstart the event with our lecture for today. This series of lectures in memory of Kojo Banredu was instituted in the year 2014 to recognize and immortalize the life and work of Kujo Banredu, chartered accountant, politician, and public servant who died in office. May so rest in peace while serving as Ghana's Minister for Finance and Economic Planning under the erstwhile John Ejekum Kufo presidency. He had previously held the portfolios of Minister of Local Government and Rural Development, that is between 2001 and 2003, Minister of Education, Youth and Sports between 2003 and 2005, and he was also the Member of Parliament for Asantiakim North constituency from 1997 all the way to his death. I'll not bore you with too much talk, but before I get into introducing our guest speakers, I want to tell you about the two things on which his legacy have been anchored. Namely, one, the public finances of Ghana must be managed and accounted for as prescribed by the constitution of Ghana, by the letter of the law. And two, that public service is an honor and recognition which is to be reciprocated through excellence in performance and humility at all times. But the question is, is that what we have seen? Is that what we are seeing? And is that what, God willing, we shall see in that renewed Ghana? Fitting as we gear up for today's lecture, which speaks about beyond the haircuts, the prospects for investments and public finances in Ghana in the next decade. Beyond the haircut, I do not know because now we've been told there's going to be another haircut. So I don't know whether we're even going beyond the haircut already. Dr. Theo Champong is uh, smiling. And that is the theme for today's event. Our guest speaker is none other than a very great man who in recent times has been speaking a lot on matters related to the economy, finances, and the state of our country. He's an economist and political risk analyst. For you out there watching us on television, for you out there listening to us on radio, and for those who are our guests this afternoon seated here, I'd like you with a rousing round of applause to help us welcome our main speaker, Dr. Theo Echampo. Please, let's put our hands together for him. Now, he is going to be taking the podium. Let me also just um, mention that we, have, we shall have commentary courtesy of Agnes Sewa Abankwa, Senior Investment Manager at Dalex Finance. And finally, we cannot have this event without a chairperson, which is why at this juncture I'm going to invite forward. Many of us see him on television sometimes picketing at the Ministry of Finance. Well, today he's not picketing. He is going to share his thoughts with us at a point, and of course, he is going to chair this event. He is former Director General 
of the Security and Exchange Commission and coordinator of Locked Up Investment Forum. He's in the person of Dr. Edu Anani MP. Doc, please do us the honors. Let's put our hands together for him. And the host of this event, we cannot uh, sideline that. He's done this since the very inception. He's been instrumental. Dr. Charles Reku Brobe. Please, let's put our hands together for him. Let me also mention that this is a collaborative effort with the Ghana Institute of Public Policy Options, GIPO, and the Multimedia Group. In case you didn't know, my name is Benjamin Akapa, and it's a pleasure to be here. On that note, I would invite, just for a brief acceptance and a little commentary, the chairman for the event, Dr. Edu Anani Aintree. Please, let's welcome him. Thank you, um, Mr. Moderator, and uh, I want to welcome all of you to this uh, ceremony. First, I also thank the host for giving me this honor to chair this function. Mr. Barry has been a very good friend of mine before he joined politics. He served with me on one of the Institute of Chartered Accountants Committee, Library and Book Development Committee. I was the chairperson and he was a member. Uh, then he went into politics, so he stopped the committee. But we, were, we have been close to, uh, from that time uh, when he was in the ministry as a finance minister. Anytime the budget has been read, he will ask that they bring me a copy of the budget for me to look at and see if I can make any suggestion. One day I was traveling to uh, away, and then he said there was a project there that he have handled well. So when I go, I should study that project, come back and advise him. That was the time we were trying to uh, restructure or list the Agriculture Development Bank. And they have done it nicely, one company in Singapore and he asked me to go and study if I get there and come back and report to him. And I did that and gave him a good report that this is how the people did there. So he has been a very good friend of mine. Uh, I have a very memorable picture with him that uh, when you come and you see it, you see that we're in a ta-ta-ti manner. So I'm happy uh, I've come back after a long uh, uh, while of uh, having these things with him to chair uh, this meeting, which is this ceremony, which is in his honor, uh, that is lecture. Um, the theme of the lecture, too, is something that we are working on uh, this time, especially the word haircut. I will say something more about a haircut. Traditionally, a haircut is when you have lost part of your principal. But, but now, Ghana, we, have, we, we are using haircuts. And I called our, our usage of haircut in Ghana as technical haircut. It's like knockout. When the, the, the fighter, your opponent knocks you down, that is knockout. But if you are fighting and you can't and the referee stop it, it is technical knockout. So our haircut now, 
And sometimes when people say, the president said it was going to any haircut, yes, I agree. No traditional haircut, because once your principal is not slash, there is no haircut. But people have said, every loss of money is haircut. And so once we are losing something, we call it haircut. So that is technical haircut. So we have all now taking the haircut to be anything that is lost, whether it is interest, whether it's the duration of time that you have to wait, it is haircut. So I think we are using this haircut in that uh, knockout haircut uh, 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 terms. So everything that we have gone through, if it's technical one, then there has been a technical knockout because you have lost some uh, coupon. The rates on your bond has come, come down. You have been, you have extended your uh, maturity period. And then, of course, we have also have to wait even for the coupons that were supposed to be given to us on time plus the principal. So that amounts to our technical knockout that everything that is lost in Ghana here and the, the, the modern uh, term of knockout has become once there is any thing that is causing you to lose value. And value, even if your money was supposed to come to you yesterday, and it comes to you next week, there is a loss in value. So in Ghanaian times, it will be one of the knock <laughs> haircuts. And so I call that technical haircut. And I think we are privileged to have Dr. Chiu Champon to lead us through this. And then at the end of the day, I believe there, there will be opportunity for people to comment. Even Do, do we have people commenting online? If, if not, then the people here will have to raise any question that you have to raise, you, you raise and it will be, uh, it will be addressed. So I will end here, uh, since I'm not the, the, the speaker, and just say you are all welcome and help me to manage the affairs of this function to a successful end. Thank you. We're very grateful to our chairman for the event, Dr. Edu Anani Enki. Time now for us to get into the main event, and we're going to be hearing from our main speaker for the day. As has already been mentioned, whatever your description of haircut, we are definitely talking about that financial haircut that we are receiving, and which is still ongoing per what we have heard from uh, government in recent days and maybe weeks. The theme beyond the haircut, the prospects for investments and public finances in Ghana in the next decade. To elaborate on this matter, once more, economist, political risk activist, he's in the person of our speaker, Dr. Theo Echampo. Please, let's welcome him. Uh, okay, good afternoon, uh, everyone. I hope we're all doing uh, great and well. Uh, it's always good to be physically present um, in, in Ghana um, to deliberate on um, important um, national um, matters. I want to recognize the chair 
I also want to recognize um, the, um, the executive director of uh, Ghana Institute of Public Policy Options, uh, Uncle Charles, as I call him, or sometimes I say Wafa. Um, he's been in this space, um, like many others, for uh, a while um, in terms of uh, doing uh, advocacy. Um, Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, all protocols uh, observed. Um, thank you this afternoon for um, inviting me to be the speaker and to share some thoughts uh, on the prospects for public finances and investments in Ghana um, in the next 10 uh, years. As the MC had already indicated, um, the Kujuba Radio Memorial Lecture was established um, back nine years ago in 2014, and it seeks to recognize and immortalize the life and the works of the great man, uh, Kwejuba um, Redu. And the speaker, the MC, did indicate two um, key tenets or principles that drove his public life. First one being that the public finances of Ghana must be managed and accounted for as prescribed by the Constitution of the Republic of Ghana. You could even add subsequent other laws that have been passed like the Public Financial Management Act um, and related um, matters. And then number two, the public service is an honor and a recognition which has to be reciprocated through excellence in performance and humility at all times. And uh, Akakpo raised the question, is that what we see in recent times? I, I would leave the judgment for all of us to reflect on. But it is especially on the first point that I want to elaborate and talk a little bit about um, the country's public finances and um, the overall sort of economic prospects um, and to see how things have played out. Um, yes, we're still in the process of the haircut business. So it's, it's, we're, we're told in the news wires and what we're reading that it's not fully over yet. But I think we also need to look beyond that to ask ourselves. So once all of these um, dead restructurings uh, or for a layman call it haircut is completed, what does that do or what would that do for the economy of Ghana and importantly how does this translate into improving the livelihoods of Ghanaians? I think from where I'm coming from for far too long we've become a bit fixated with you know talking broad macroeconomic numbers so we'll talk policy rate, we'll talk inflation, we'll talk uh, borrowing, debt, etc. But at the end of the day, we've got to break it down and connect it to how it impacts people's livelihoods on the ground, um, especially in the context of the IMF program that we have signed on to. So that's really what I want to use the next couple of minutes really to highlight and, and deliberate uh, a number of points on. So the first uh, objective 
that I seek to attain in terms of this uh, lecture really is that we, we want to look at the country's um, economic landscape. Um, and then secondly, we'll look at Ghana's public finances and we'll look at to what extent, if any, do um, external factors. So you would have heard in the commentary again a lot of talk being made uh, about Russia, Ukraine, and COVID being responsible for uh, the mess that we find ourselves in. Uh, I will show you that, yes, partly true, but that is not fully the case. And the data actually bears this uh, out. And then I think really going forward, the question then becomes, you know, so what does this mean for investments? And um, what does this mean for uh, the uh, economy um, going forward? Um, um, I am uh, an economist and a finance person, so please do oblige me. I've got lots of charts and lots of data points that I'll be using to tell the story because I think it's, it's important um, to, to, to do that. So in terms of outline for this, this uh, lecture and conversation, like I've already indicated, we would look at the economic landscape I will go specific into the IMF program that we've signed and what it means for uh, the country's public finances. Then also look at the investment prospects and finish off with some policy options or measures that in my view uh, are required to prevent uh, a recurrence of Ghana's um, experience. And here just to signal, I think one of the big elephants in the room here really is the politics, that the, what we are seeing with the economy and all of the restructuring and all of the inflation issues is a manifestation of a much bigger problem that we have in this country, which is how public finances are run and ultimately how incentives are created within the politics. And not until we fundamentally address that whether it be through constitutional reforms, etc., in my view, would just be tackling the surface of the problem, and this would end up coming back to bite us uh, again. So that's really what I, I, I seek to, to do um, in this conversation. So let me start first and foremost uh, with uh, a discussion or a conversation on the um, recent uh, economic experience. And I think there are two key events that comes into um, question um, in terms of how uh, the economy has performed in the last um, two to three years. The first thing being COVID, the pandemic. Uh, we saw the lockdowns, and the lockdowns then meant that, as you see on the chart on your left-hand side, um, almost every country in the world um, is showing red, which is, you know, recording uh, in some instances negative growth or growth that is even less than 3% uh, percentage points of, uh, of real GDP. Then the vaccines started becoming available um, and increasingly we started um, uh, reducing some of those um, stay-at-home measures and as we speak currently, most economies have, in a way, recovered, as you see uh, on your uh, right-hand uh, side 
chat there. The question then is, if COVID affected everyone and most government had to made, make certain um, interventions to support the well-being of the people, how come that in Ghana's case, it particularly is much more precarious? And I'll show uh, a couple of um, charts to, to, to talk about that. Then, of course, um, in all of that, there's also the Russia-Ukraine war. So immediately after the economies, global economy started reopening in the uh, latter part of 2021, coming into 2022, we saw uh, Putin um, invade Russia um, in February, I believe 24th of February of 2022, and then that also has had a major um, impact on global economy. But in all of this, governments have provided a range of interventions to support the economies uh, through what we call you know, tax side policies or fiscal policies, and then also on the monetary uh, um, and the macro financial side, for example, reducing the policy rate, and subsequently with Russia, Ukraine, the policy rate also beginning um, to, to go back up. I think these are two important contextual factors. But of course, the big question is, does it all explain the challenges that Ghana and its economy has gone through in the last two years? And um, like I've highlighted earlier, it does not explain everything. And one of the big things here you would see is election year spending, um, which you know really is, is the big elephant um, in, in, the, in the room. So for many, for many countries, in the context of Russia, Ukraine, and in the context of COVID, um, you can see on your, on the, on the, again, the chat there, that a number of the countries that approached um, uh, the IMF for some form of bailout or other were in Sub-Saharan Africa, right? Um, and in the Sub-Saharan African context, some um, work and estimates even indicate that we've lost almost 10 years of progress on the development front as a result of both the pandemic and um, the uh, Russia-Ukraine um, conflict um, in, in that regard. So with Russia-Ukraine, we saw the big spike in um, commodities prices, especially food, um, and fuel, and as you see uh, on the uh, the on your screen, you see in the period of the pace that we started recovering after the pandemic, you can see for a number of commodities, whether it is oils or is grains or is metals or beverages, you see a bit of a sharp um, upward spike in the data from uh, about the middle part of 20. 20, right? Um, and then this is sustained all the way until about 2021. But then just observe right after the uh, Russian um, invasion of Ukraine um, and subsequent matters, you see another big sharp spike in the, the data in terms of these commodity prices. And this is important uh, because if you look at a number of the countries in Sub-Saharan Africa, including Ghana, 
the two biggest items in the consumer basket is actually food and fuel, or call it transportation. So you see then subsequently this beginning to um, filter through into um, inflation and inflation beginning to, uh, to go up. But what is also really interesting is that even before the inflation starts going up and starts um, impacting the economy of Ghana and many other um, countries, if you look at Ghana specifically, so now I'm narrowing it down to Ghana issues, and we decided to plot the history of the country's economic growth over 20, 25 years. There are two really interesting stories that you begin to see. So the big thing that happens is in 2010-2011, we start producing and exporting crude oil. And if you work out the compounded annual growth rate, year-on-year year change over the 10 years from 2001 until 2011, where we had our biggest growth rate of about 14%, on average, the economy was growing at about 7% right, a year. And then oil comes in, we take our eyes off the ball, and we start, of course, um, borrowing again. So remember that even before oil, in the early 2000s, um, under um, the President Kufo regime, we had the big HIPIC relief and initiatives and the multilateral debt relief, and that brought our debt levels also down. But immediately that we started closing those um, initiatives and oil also comes in, we start actually debt binging all over again. And then two events happened as well. So you have the Dumso crisis, uh, which is from 2014 to 2016, 17. And around that time, we entered into our 16th IMF program. And then we have the pandemic, and of course, we've entered our 17th program. The second story there is that if you take the 10 years after oil and you work out the same growth rate, on a compounded annual growth rate terms, We've been growing at negative 11% every year since oil came into the equation. And the data is there. And if you even decided to, for argument's sake, put in a trend line all the way to which is the dots that you see on your screen, you see that it's actually coming down and not going up. So something fundamentally is amiss with the way we have been running our economy and as we see later on in this uh, um, uh, lecture, this growth is not even necessarily translating into improving livelihoods at the bottom. And that's another thing that we have to um, take uh, into uh, account. Okay. So if you now extend that, and we now focus specifically on the period from 2010 to 2022. The problem is that we have been spending, we have been spending beyond what we collect in terms of revenue, right? So persistently for the last 10 years, we've had about 5% gap between our revenue 
and our expenditure. So what that means is that if you are collecting, for example, 100 Ghana CDs in um, revenue, you are spending 105 CDs right, in expenditure. And that 5 CD extra, you either have to borrow money from somewhere to finance your, uh, your budget or the deficit, or you have to cut back on uh, expenditure. But in our case, expenditure cuts have not even been a part of the policy conversation. It's often really, uh, in my view, um, mere talk. Because you see budget statement after budget statement, and in those budget statements, there are often line items there about cutting expenditure. But in fact, when the uh, appropriations are done, and the fiscal outends are released, and you go and look at the numbers versus what was said in the budget, they are two completely different stories, right? Um, so you can see clearly in this chart here that the orange line is at the top and the blue line is at the bottom, right? And it becomes a bit more po 